This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today our guest is Jack Jones, who has been an Atlanta fixture for most of his 25-year career. He's best known for his long tenure with the Mike Veal Band, one of Atlanta's longest-standing and most popular live acts, and he has recently been featured in some of Rick Beato's popular YouTube videos. Jack's credits also include cult favorite Colonel Bruce Hampton, Texas blues man Chris Duarte, and vintage jazz outfit Blair Crimmins and the Hookers. As you may know, we've recently welcomed Bayer Drums as a sponsor, so in this episode you'll be hearing clips of a 5.5 by 14 and Troy Laqueta playing what might be considered Bayer's flagship model, the 4 by 15. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers. It's all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. Thank you in advance for your support. Here's Tesla drummer Troy Lucetta playing a 4x15 buyer snare drum with Mark Vanilla and the Dragon Choir. This is a killer medley. You can find a link in the show notes to watch this whole video. So the more I hear Jack Jones play, the more I like him. He's capable of some really subtle nuance and elasticity, as you can see on his Instagram feed. He can nail something specific to the wall, as you can see in Rick Beato's videos. He can make something just feel good, whether he knows the song or not, as you can see with the Mike Veal Band, and he does it all with a very disciplined and down-to-earth approach. So I enjoyed hearing about all this from him. Hope you do too. Here's Jack Jones. You know, it's been slow, obviously, yeah. for gigs and whatnot. I've been doing a little bit of teaching. I've been teaching some courses at AIM. Right, the Atlanta uh, Institute of Music. A, right, the Atlanta Institute of Music. They've gone online, you know, and that's been a big thing and a big transition. But I've been teaching a handful of classes there, and I teach at a studio, some of which I was able to maintain that online, and now we're meeting back on location, so I'm t- teaching a handful of kids and, and, you know, still now a few gigs here and there are coming up, but mm-hmm. uh, I've been spending a lot of time shedding and, you know, doing creative endeavors. I've been fairly productive. I kind of got in a rut for a while, but it's uh-huh. for the most part been kind of uh, a pretty fruitful season of yeah, like everybody's had a, you know, a, a COVID project, um, whether, whether yeah. that's music related or not. Um, but by the looks of it, especially on Instagram, um, what you've been diving into is just uh, creativity and improvisation and, um, uh-huh. you know, messing around <laughs> on the drums. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so it, it, was that kind of something that you um, w- that you had to do that was in the back of your mind for a long time? Like, I got to get back to more sort of free playing and exploration on the drums? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And... Um well, what I've been practicing, I've been practicing other instruments more than the drums, but as far as the Instagram thing and putting up things of me playing and, and stuff like that, yeah, like these little, sometimes I'll put little loops together, little small instrumental things or whatever that kind of showcase drumming, but 
it's kind of a way to get some instant gratification. You can put together some little loop or some little combination of things, and right. it's only supposed to be 30 seconds long, so it's not this big, long ordeal. Um, and, yeah, you can kind of put it out, and, and there it is, and it was a creative endeavor. And then, you know, but it didn't take you're not writing a symphony or anything like that. <laughs> right, right. I've I've kind of recently discovered the the need to do more of this um as well. Like I I was um doing kind of a, a mic placement test in here yesterday mm-hmm. and I was like, let me just play, let me just mess around. Um yeah. and I've been doing that so little lately that like I wasn't real thrilled with what was coming out of me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. You know, definitely. so I was I was, you know, it the the mic placement test, you know, came out successful. I, I learned a lot there, but just as far as the actual playing, I was like I should I should I should get back to, you know, improvising a little bit every day and just being comfortable moving around my set and exploring ideas and you know, it just seemed like there was a, a little bit of a blockage has <laughs> has set in for me. Well, yeah, you know, what, as drummers for hire, you're always kind of trying to fit into other people's concept or right. trying to make other people happy or, or being a chameleon or this or that. But I think a lot of us have or at least start out with ideas of how you want to sound or, or you know, your own concept. So I've definitely been digging more into that. How, mm-hmm. how do I want to play? How do I want to sound? And and uh, even what do I want music to sound like? And yeah, I, I think like the sorts of things that I've been putting on Instagram, at least is kind of an extension of that. Um, and do you feel that, you know, totally. in, in this exploration that you're you're returning to um, ideas or types of playing that you kind of got away from or are you unlocking new stuff? I would imagine a little bit of both, right? Yeah, a little bit of both is is absolutely right. So, yeah. what what are a couple of those things? Like some old stuff you're returning to, and some new stuff that you're reaching for. Well, you know, I like to play jazz, and um, I'm trying to work more of that in and and just fusion drumming in general. It's really I don't know as far as reaching back or or looking forward. It's more like letting the the inputs that you've acquired meld into something Mm -hmm. you know and that and that takes time and it takes the time that most of us don't have or you know or or a certain level of freedom and again as drummers especially when you're trying to make a living and once you kind of get in the machine and you're grinding it out you kind of lose that i think uh, a lot of us do um but you know my original bands in high school and this and that i've came up with parts i had a i just what i was into is what came out and it was kind of a very pure process yeah so so being able to play drums and practice drums unimpeded by other people <laughs> i guess I don't, I don't want that to sound the wrong way but as far as you know what's wrong know what with I'm music saying. other people <laughs> no but you know what i mean uh, yeah totally totally because it would be the equivalent of that would be just jamming with your friends and and having a band and you all like the same kind of music and and this and that but because we're all so isolated i guess you just start doing that by yourself right that makes sense right so like mm-hmm. what are the what what are some of the walls you've kind of run up against? What are some of the limitations in, in yourself that you're trying to break through? Um, with regard to drumming? Yeah, drumming or just musical concepts or, or anything, stuff that's kind of blocking your, your flow. Well, um, you know, I want to write. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what I'm aspiring is is to have more creative endeavors and, and original music. Now, what's blocking my flow is basically I'm so early in that stage of doing that that uh, I've not yet been able to turn ideas into long form works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because I have ideas like endlessly, right? But the process of because I don't necessarily have a strong command of other instruments or that, you know, I'm kind of intermediate, the piano and I can kind of strum around on guitar. But with that, what feels like an absence of like an intimate knowledge of harmony in the way that people interact with it whenever they play piano. Right. 
it's very difficult for me at this point to turn ideas into works, you know. So in terms of that's what I'm working on the most right now is uh, is that process and, and getting better at it and not second guessing myself, just kind of letting things happen. Yeah, yeah. I've I've talked to, um, you know, a lot of musicians and a lot of songwriters, especially who, who mm-hmm. kind of have to. Um, it's so much easier said than done, but like you have to forgive yourself in advance for the bad shit. That's going <laughs> to, that's right. You know, for the stuff that's not going to make the final cut. Like you have to get all that stuff out because, you know, one in 10 of those ideas is going to be something you stick with and something you want to develop. Um, right. Yeah. But if you, if you yeah, wrestle, definitely. you know, if you wrestle with like, well, is this good enough or how can I change it to make it better or whatever? You can just, you know, make yourself crazy doing that yeah yeah or you can follow a path into the weeds and right then, <laughs> and then you're kind of like what am i doing is this is this really what i need to be doing right now right <laughs> you i know? don't even like I, this thing <laughs> yeah i don't know what you know it started out as an idea and and i was like inspired and and try to develop it and all of a sudden now i i just feel like stopping and doing something else, you know? <laughs> right right <laughs> Jesus, what yeah. a metaphor for life that could be. Right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so in 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 your long game um, with these ideas and with this kind of goal of wanting to compose more, um, what what do you envision this um, turning into? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I just want to, you know, a, a collection of works and, and to just have output, creative output that, that I'm putting out there because – I feel like I need to. I, I don't necessarily even know what compels me to do that. I, I don't necessarily aspire to make a living from that per se. But right. um, so, so as far as what is it turning into, um, I just want to have my stuff out there yeah. and then have that outlet, you know, rather right. than. So it's all about a balance rather than have all of my time consumed by things that I'm having to do for survival or whatever you know just that like all of us as as creatives yeah (laughs) like the new buzzword but uh, you know we need to have that outlet so and i think for drummers it can be easy to not get a lot out of that in there yeah definitely um and i think for um for some drummers it's not um there's not a strong drive to do that uh, sure. And, you know, I like I would I, I have never had a strong drive to um, put original music out there. I've never had a strong drive to, like, create original projects <laughs> or original ideas in that way. Um, and I think, you know, drummers like you, you talked about how you're you know, you, you get in this rhythm of playing gigs and playing gigs and learning songs and learning other people's stuff and blah, blah, blah. And you need uh-huh. you need an outlet from that. Um, and yeah. I think some, some musicians, you know, their outlet is their own music, something they're in control of something that's theirs. And right. for other musicians, that outlet is something that's not music. Sure. You yeah. Know? That makes total sense. Um, right. Yeah. And we've talked so much about just like having that outlet, um, whether it's, right, of whether course. it's composing original music or fucking fishing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I definitely feel I'm of the former, mm-hmm. like the, the original music thing or, uh, you know, it was always something really important to me. And I think I just play better in the, in those circumstances, you know, that that's really whenever, um, it's like a whole different level of drumming that I go to whenever I feel unimpeded by whatever you're just playing what you hear, what you feel, yeah. you know, and, so as a drummer, it's where it's at. Right, me. right. Well, original stuff. Yep, yep. And it's a good reminder for me to um, to like reconnect with that just sort of free, unimpeded type of playing because you can you can apply that to every other playing situation you're in. You you you're only gonna apply it in a small way in like one moment here or one fill there or whatever, but. You know, yeah. keeping that knife sharp um, so that, you know, if you're 
playing a pop song and, you know, something happens at the end of the bridge, you're like, oh, I can just dip into this thing for a minute and just be free for that moment, come up with a cool thing, and then back in the box. Um, I think that's what the great, yeah, that's what the great drummers that do that stuff are able to tap into so seamlessly is, is somehow bring that creative spark to these, you know, numerous situations and be able to bring their their creative spark into other people's stuff right and and that's its own that's its own skill really i think yeah and it's it's its own sort of type of um reward it's its own little Mm -hmm. gratification i as i'm thinking about it i you know one of one of the most gratifying things i experience in music is little moments like that where like it's not completely free it's not you know just no holds barred it's a free-for-all everybody's shredding yeah it's it's you know in certain parameters and you just find a little thing in a little moment and you you were free enough and comfortable enough to just do it. Those those are the best moments. Yeah. And and playing songs, you know, that's what, in in every style that what we do changes obviously. So yeah, with them playing songs, you're able to be creative in a certain way and embrace that. Or if you're playing in styles in which, you know, the drums are more, involved per se Mm -hmm. um it's it's different yeah the character is different but the the spark is the same in terms of creativity and inspiration i think yeah yeah it's funny the the more involved the drums have to be um the the less good i feel about my playing (laughs) right yeah sure in in general like if i'm if i'm if i'm feeling pressure or putting pressure on myself to like be a to take up a lot of space and be a big part of whatever's going on like i start yeah i I don't like what i start uh playing (laughs) right well yeah with uh there's nothing worse than you know bad jazz music or bad you know like if you're if you're playing music where instrumental music or you know improvised music it it it's a lot of responsibility on the performer obviously i mean probably 99.9% of it is torture to listen to you know <laughs> to to actually be a good improviser or or to 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 actually try to command someone's attention and just noodle on your instrument <laughs> like right. you better like be good at it you know because if it's some kind of self-serving thing which i think most of that is in a way in mm-hmm. my opinion this is just my opinion um you know you're doing a disservice to the entire <laughs> art form yeah you know? yeah and you know <laughs> s- some some audience members kind of sign up for that and they're like i'm i'm going on the journey with you whatever whatever you want to throw at me you know but right a lot of a lot of audience members will not i interviewed uh darren stanley a while back and he was talking about the you know the tuesday jam that that he used to do with kevin scott all the time uh, which yeah got out into like outer space pretty quick every week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Darren was like, you know, I'll be the first to admit like 70% of what we play on Tuesday night is garbage. It's just right. chaos and garbage. But right. you know, once in a while we find really cool, magical shit. And if, you know, if you and we are willing to kind of like wade through the garbage, you know, We'll find some really cool shit. It's like the songwriting thing or like the coming up with ideas. Like you have to go through a lot of garbage to find the <laughs> the diamonds. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a good that's a good insight with that. Yeah. Absolutely. It make mm-hmm. and it makes you even more in awe of the drummers and the musicians who uh you know, play freely most of the time and most mm-hmm. of it is so damn good like there's just right, so yeah. little garbage <laughs> you know well i guess it's a muscle like anything else once you make that commitment to playing that type of music then you have to practice it or you have to do it a lot you know because you know any any musician may have some talent in that era area but if you don't go all in you know it it might not happen Mm -hmm. on that level. So somebody like blade or people that say, you know, I want to be a jazz drummer or I want to be a, you know, just play that. Well, you know, I guess you can sit around and practice, you know, uh, being spontaneous and, and I've done it to a degree and it's certainly, um, 
it gets better with practice, you know, that muscle of improvisation. But yeah. you listen to people like thinking locally, like Kevin Bales or somebody like that, who, yeah, I mean, dude, he, you know, can just flow from one thing to another and just create this beautiful thing out of nothing, you know, mm-hmm. or Keith Jarrett or, you know, but um, takes all types. Yeah. How many projects have you done with Rick Beato? I think uh, I've probably been eight of his videos. That many? Uh, wow. Okay, cool. Well, that's including, there's a couple of his, like, what makes this song great, mm-hmm. where he's had me chime in. Even since the pandemic, I shot two of those things. I shot little snippets at my house where I'm describing the drum groove or something, and then I'll send that to him. So seven or eight videos, I think I've been in total. Cool. How did you, uh-huh. h- how did you start doing that? Have you known him for a while or did he <laughs> find you on uh, Craigslist or what happened? <laughs> right. <laughs> he, uh, I, he got my number from another drummer in town, John Sheldon, I believe. Oh yeah. John. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, it was, it was crazy because I think the night before, he, I woke up to a text message from him. Hey, this is Rick Beato, and I got your number from from this from yeah from John Sheldon. But I think the night before, you know, I was kind of a fan of his channel. I, you know, I've, since he's been putting stuff out, I've enjoyed it. So I was watching one of his videos, I believe, the night before. So then I kind of woke up and saw that, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then I called him, and he uh, he said, yeah, I got your number from John Chal, and he says you can play like Steve Gadd. And I'm making this video, top 20 drum intros, and do you want to do it? I said, okay, sure. Wow. And it was, you So know, the and, top 20 drum intros was the first thing you did with him? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy, man. Yeah, because, uh, and it was like in three days or something like that. Oh, my God. And there was there wasn't really a list. There wasn't, uh, he, he's interesting, you know, like the, the, those videos he puts out as I went over there and kind of went through the process, it's very improvisatory, you know, like he's just flying by the seat of his pants and, uh, it's pretty interesting. So to be in that, especially like, well, you know, a lot of people are going to watch this and do I really know any of this stuff? A a lot of those things I'm like listening to on my phone. I'm like, Hey, hang on. I was like, I have to shed this for a second <laughs> right? You know, before you put it on the internet. You know, so. <laughs> so his pro- his process is kind of like, you know, not um, predetermined, <laughs> shall we say? Not, not really. Like he comes up with an idea that I was, I actually find it quite inspiring how, how he works, you know, because he's, he's extremely intelligent. You know, he's a super musical guy. But, well, not but. <laughs> you go over to his house, and and he kind of has a vision. He uh-huh. says, okay, we're going to make a video, top 20 drum intros. And then he has, like, a small crew of people with no real blueprint, and then go. <laughs> you know, and, and just basically things come together, you know. And, right. and it, until, until it becomes the vision essentially, you wow. know, so he, he, with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of determination, he's kind of a workhorse, mm-hmm. but, uh, during a lot of the process, he's just kind of improvising what's going to happen and how it's going to come together. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And so when you say improvising, how it's going to come together, you're talking about like, you know, which, which drums you're going to use, how you're going to mic them up. Um, what, like how much of the song you're going to play? What, I mean, did he even yeah, have, yeah. did he even know what songs he wanted to do? No, no, <laughs> no. Oh like, um, yeah, I remember at one point, I, because I was I was kind of waiting for the list to to practice, right? And then when I get there, I kind of he's like, okay, let's 
let's put the list together. And, and I was I'm like, what? Like I have to, um, I have to learn this stuff, you know? So we did the first day. Yeah. A lot of it, I was kind of listening on my phone and then I, I knew hot for teacher would end up being on it. So <laughs> I shed that crap, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so I knew, but I hadn't played double bass since I was a teenager. So that kind of got me fired up to get back into double bass cool. drumming cool. after that. Um, but in any case, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear about his, his process because, you know, like v- video editing, whether it's his videos or, or other people's, you know, video editing can give you the impression that um, this, you know, video you're watching was scripted and blueprinted and diagrammed and rehearsed and and just like you know they knew every step they were going to do before they even started um but it's kind of like mind-boggling and refreshing and like you you said kind of inspiring to hear that like he just kind of had this idea and was like got some people in a room and let's let's go at it (laughs) let's go that's exactly dude it's totally inspiring like here's uh, okay here's an example we did one 20 greatest drum fills, right? And I think before we had done that video, he hadn't even put together how he was going to present the drum fills, like because they had to somehow be presented in context with the music. Right. But initially, it's just like, oh, yeah, we'll just play some drum fills. You know, we'll pick 20 of them and, and no big deal. But then during the process, it's like, oh, I have to go back and recreate every one of these songs, you know? Right. And, and that was like determined during the course of the video, how it was all going to come together. Right. So he had, he put in so much work and he essentially did all of it himself. Um, you know, I think that took him days and days and days because a lot of it, when we, when we worked the fills out, a lot of them weren't to a click or it was all just, you know, and then and then after the fact, we had to he had to determine all that stuff and and still put out something pretty cool, I think. So, yeah, um, yeah. it's really m- cool m- content. M- it's like it's, you know, consumable lengths um, and, mm-hmm. and interesting, um, you know, interesting topics, interesting songs. It's kind of like a, a, a musicology of yeah. pop music. Right. Um, what was the most. uh challenging sort of uh what was the what was the hardest thing you had to learn <laughs> for one of these things well he's friends with Vinny Calyuta so when he first when we were first talking about the list he said you know we got to come up with a list so I'm thinking of stuff but I couldn't really think of a Vinny lick per se of, of course he has lots of amazing stuff but like that signature Phil. Like yeah. What, so I was talking to him on the phone. I'm like, I can't think of like the Vinny Phil per se. I, mean, I don't I think, think there is one. I think that's one of the things that makes Vinny Vinny. It's just something different yeah. every time and always blows your face off. So then, so then I, I'm telling Rick Beato that and he's like, oh, you know, that one that, that he did on the Buddy Rich tape that we all watched, right. you know, the, there's, there's one where he, you know, like the the single thing alternating alternating with the kick yeah it's like where he totally shuts it down so he totally shut that whole thing down with that and and we all like we all grew up watching that thinking like it's just it's like a magic show and uh and somehow rick beato had that in his head you know he's not a drummer but what why did he even know that i have no idea but that that, i was thinking you know what's the vinnie phil and he said you know that one that vinnie played on that buddy rich tape yeah. he said just instantly and i was like dear god man like <laughs> you know and um but i learned it uh I, you know, I didn't play it like Vinny, but yeah uh, i didn't at any point think that he would even use that because i'm thinking like this doesn't sound anything like what he played but i did learn the fill and and uh and played it and yeah he put it up there so that was definitely like the most challenging thing I had to do. And then, uh, learning hot for teacher. Yeah. Uh, that was a pain. That's also. no joke. <laughs> That's yeah. no joke for sure. Yeah. Um, so what have you, in, in working with Rick, um, what have you learned, um, about, uh, I, I would imagine that he has a lot to teach about 
first of all, music production and recording techniques and, and everything studio related, but also yeah. about, you know, building a YouTube following, working social right. media, um, having that online presence. So, mm-hmm. uh, so what is, uh, rubbed off on you in, in those regards? Well, the, the thing I think I've probably learned from, uh, my experiences with Rick is just, he believes in himself and, and he, um, he's a doer, mm. you know, he, uh, he doesn't, he puts his plans into action and has total confidence in what he's doing and, and gets it done, you know, and, and meaning like, like that channel, he's just a workhorse. You yeah. know I mean, he puts hours and hours and hours into, into what he's doing and, uh, it pays off for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so it's that, it's that, um, yeah, that drive, and you know, and he's obviously just a musical dude. He just knows he has the goods as far as what he's putting out there. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. It's just uh, he has all of that stuff, and he knows how to make a product. Right. You know. Right. Um, yeah. Putting in putting in the hours is just one of those one of those things that. Um, <laughs> we don't all do <laughs> all the time. You know? Right. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times that's, that's the only difference between, you know, person a and, and person B. Um, it's, it's not always talent. It's not always inspiration. It's just that, you know, that drive that follow through, which I also think is somewhat subjective among people. Like some, some people and some artists in particular are just like, go, 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 go music, 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 music all the time. Um, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, we were saying earlier, Others just need an outlet, need to put it down for a while, um, yeah. and uh, are, are not as productive. I would definitely fall into the second camp, but um, I, I'm just constantly sort of trying to remind myself to be more productive, use time more efficiently. Um, you know, even though I don't have an hour, do I have half an hour? Like, let's sure. get something done. Um, right. So has that inspired you to just kind of uh, be more productive in one way or another at any given time? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just it's the process of you know how can how can I state it? Yeah, creating the vision, putting it in action, putting it out there. You know, it may succeed or it may fail, mm-hmm. but I get the impression from from Rick, uh, you know, that's kind of how he's done things. You know, obviously at this stage in his life, like pretty much his entire life, from what I've been able to gather, he's just kind of been hitting the pavement in one form or another. And, uh, and now here he is, you know, he's in his 50s, I guess, and... Uh, did this you know and it's been a real success for him yeah and then if it if it were to stop being successful he'd probably do something else right you know i'm sure he would i'm sure <laughs> you he know would. because it's just that's a, a certain personality type so yeah i think it's rubbed off on me and 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 that like that's what it takes to see it you know firsthand it, it's one thing to have the desire but yeah to see someone's structure his, you know, his rig, the studio, the people he surrounds himself with and, and how, how he does things just generally, you know, how it, how it goes from the idea to the finished product, you mm-hmm. know, because a lot of times I'm going over there and he'll, he'll have an idea. A couple of times I haven't even known. It's like some kind of brainy recording thing that I don't even know what's happening, right. but he just wants me to play. He wants me to play drums to display the sound of a microphone or something. So I won't even totally get that, uh, <laughs> but then I'll, I'll see the, uh, the finished product. I'm like, wow, that was, that was great. You yeah. know, and I was a small part of this big thing that yeah. started in his head and right. now we just put that video out and, uh, right on. You know, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that three-step process you talked about, you kind of like, you know, you have an idea, you create a vision and then you start working on it and, and put it together and then you put it out there. And as you were describing that in, in my head, like at at each of those three stages, I have, um, 
you know, doubts or laziness or second guessing, mm. you know, that could, that could prevent that project from being completed and published. Um, yeah. Yeah. And join the club. <laughs> yeah. So from, <laughs> from what, uh, from what you're saying about Rick, it seems like just, you know, keep going, keep like he, he, uh, he has a good success rate as far as, you know, things that he finishes that get put out that are good and successful. That's exactly right. Yeah. But for, yeah, for the rest of us, I think if we, if we just keep going through that process, even if we're not feeling like it, even if we don't feel like it's great, just finish it, just finish the process and getting all the way to the finish line with whatever you're working on, I think is, is going to, you know, teach you something about the next time, make the next time easier, make the next time more successful. Um, I'm just talking to myself at this point. Like, I'm no, <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, but I'm right there with you. Like, um, not to belabor the point, but you know, I don't think whenever he started that channel, he knew, you know, he never like edited video or anything like that. And, and, and he always kind of puts his production value down, but I think, the stuff he puts out looks pretty cool as far as that, you know, and all of that editing and all of that stuff, he's, he just learned how to do on the fly, like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Know? So, and, and it just pr progressively gets better, you know, and yeah, thinking about myself, I'm trying to edit some kind of lesson video and it's like torture. Just, I don't even like sitting at a computer <laughs> and yeah. just clicking buttons and looking at a screen, you know, it just drives me completely insane. Me too. I don't know how much he loves it either, you know, but, right. um, but he gets it, you know, gets, gets the job done. So, well, and it's also good to hear that he like, he doesn't sweat that too much. I, I feel like the video editing and, and the overall quality of the video is something that he gets good enough, right? Right. He doesn't. He doesn't have to spend hours and hours doing like tons of different camera angles and cutaways and and uh, you know filters and and whatever. You see some videos on on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and it's like Jesus. They must have spent ten times the hours on the video that they did on the music. Um, but it's one thing I appreciate about about his stuff is that the video editing is just straightforward because yeah. he's trying to present musical concepts. He's trying to get you to use yeah. your ears. And yeah. if you're using your eyes, then that kind of defeats the purpose. It reminds me of what Chris Rock said about when he's like constructing jokes, when he's developing, um, you know, a new hour or whatever, he'll, he'll go into – um, Caroline's or whatever small club in New York and just do the material. Like he won't do the Chris Rock voice. He won't yell. Um, he just kind of delivers the jokes. And if they can get a laugh in that context, he knows they're good. Then he amps it up and, and is more like <laughs> yeah. more the dynamic Chris Rock. But with, with Rick's videos, like he doesn't have to amp up the visual aspect um, in order to get the musical aspect across. Yeah. Amen. You know, it's about the content. It's yeah. about, yeah. What are you saying? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the con, uh, the production value could probably be less, you know, probably. And, yeah. And it would still, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody knows what they're talking about, you know, mm -hmm. then, uh, it will interest people. Right. I think to a, to a large degree. So yeah, yeah it, it goes back to intention, I guess. And what did it, why are you doing it? Yeah. And, uh, and if you're doing it out of a, a, a pure place of loving music or whatever it is that you're talking about or teaching or whatever, then, then that's what's going to come across. The snare drum of the week is the five and a half by 14 buyer snare drum performed by Nashville session drummer, Mark Beckett. Up until COVID, uh, you were gigging on the regular with uh, the Mike Veal <laughs> Band, yeah, um, which is just a, a, a flying circus of, of uh, psychopaths. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so talk talk a little bit about that band because you know we've been talking about um, you know improvisation and and sort of exploring creativity and and in the you know in Rick's videos it's um, it's a sort of controlled environment with a specific goal and whatever. And Mike Veal mm -hmm. band is kind of the opposite of all that. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's a free for all. Like I hope you know this tune because I'm counting it off right now. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. talk about that band and about Mike and um, about the the place that he's kind of held on on the Atlanta scene for a while. Yeah, those guys have been uh, had such an influence on me, uh, whether they know it or not. But because I started playing with them when I was so young, uh, the Mike Veal band has been around for a long time, you know, since the 90s. And when I first moved to Atlanta in 2004, they still played every Wednesday at a place called Fuzzies. Did you ever hear that? No. Fuzzy. It was a club right across the street from where they currently play on Wednesdays, the Tin Roof. Uh, Fuzzies was kind of a music venue uh, that had bands. It was a hole-in-the-wall club, and they played every Wednesday and uh, I would go see them, and yeah, they were just amazing. Back then, they had Sean O'Rourke on drums. Oh wow, cool! He was their longtime drummer. And anyway, I uh, he started to play for that country band Sugarland. Yeah, and they auditioned a bunch of drummers. Um, Sugarland was really big at the time, I think. And uh, I, I actually did a cattle call like audition where they had like all a lot of the Atlanta drummers at the time it was probably 20 something drummers in the room all sitting there watching each other audition yeah or uh it was it was ridiculous (laughs) and I played I don't even know if I got the gig initially but I ended up being in the band and it was crazy you know because uh at that time it was uh you know, Tom Gross, Tommy Vickery, Mike Veal, obviously, and Barry Thrasher, mm-hmm. uh, who was the longtime guitar player. And he passed away a few years ago. Right. But Tom and Barry were just these musical giants, you know, but between the two of them and real demanding to play for, you know. Mm-hmm. So I came in really young. I didn't really know any of the tunes, just kind of screwing up songs i didn't know all the time if it was in my wheelhouse i played well but i had good ears you know and i i could play well enough right <laughs> and, and tom you know those guys at that time if you weren't bringing it or whatever you, you know they would let you know in their own way mm-hmm. and uh it, it was the best lesson that i ever got at that time it, it made me hyper aware of what you have to do you know they played 110 percent even if they were playing some crappy wedding outside in the 180 degree heat, like mm-hmm. Tom Gross is always going to bring it all the way, yes. all the time, no matter what. Yep. And uh, I learned a lot from that, you know, matching that, having to match that energy and do what I needed to do. And they, um, they play so much different material and just kind of like a Rick Beato thing or, or in the sense, just the kind of musicians that I like, they just understand how music connects. Yeah. All the different and and all of the music of their era, whether it be the Beatles or R and B, just all that music, they just get it as mm-hmm. far as good songs, and they you know did it for the right reasons. So I learned so much music from playing with them, all on stage, right. <laughs> you know, like no rehearsal, in real, no rehearsals at all. Watching Tom or or watching Barry, you know, uh, trying to make them happy, you know. Right. trying to play more on top of the beat or or more behind you know trying to figure out what it was that would you know make tom like playing with me or whatever <laughs> right know, right yeah at that time and and that process uh kind of figuring out what i needed to do was a huge part of my development personally you yeah know, so. yeah and it's funny like talking about you know who you have to watch or what you have to pay attention to We've talked so much about like, you know, watching the front man, paying attention to the singer or the front woman, whatever, like that's going to give you a bunch of cues that you need to know. And in Mike's band, it's not, he's like, Mike is just up there singing and (laughs) Tom, the keyboardist is just like directing traffic frantically behind him. Um, Yeah. I wish he could have played in the band when Barry was in the band because it was the two of them, you know? Yeah. And so it was the, and the dynamic between the two of them was was a great thing <laughs> to be in the middle of on multiple levels but but you had like two of those guys that were which one is the you know Barry was the rock guy and Tom Tom was the R&B guy or per se right so yeah and and Mike is just sing he's just trying to sing a song you know right. <laughs> and like don't get in the way 
<laughs> you know, and he and he knows what he wants to hear. He knows if it's good or bad and and stuff, obviously. But yeah, he's he's got Tom Gross and and uh, yeah, when and when Barry was in the band, he doesn't have to do that. He you know, it's essentially they're serving as a musical director role, I guess. Right. Totally. Um, I've yeah. so I've I've subbed for you in that band a, a few times, and um, yeah, the first time, uh, like I got on the phone with Mike, and and he told me like when and where the gig was and everything, and and I said uh, like I didn't I didn't really know the just the dynamic of the band that you just described, um, yeah, and I I asked him like you know could you send me a, a set list or like a few of the tunes that you know you'll be <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> and, right. <laughs> right. I, like he basically just laughed. He was like, yeah, all you got to know here's all you got to know. Every song ever recorded. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got Dude. there and and Tom was uh, just uh, yelling at me the whole time, every song. And he wasn't, yeah. you know, he wasn't berating me. He was like just cueing me, cueing me, cueing. Here's what's coming next. Here's what's coming. Okay, we're gonna do this. Go to the bridge right now. Big hit on two, but <laughs> you know, and a lot of these were songs that I sort of knew that I had heard before. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, a hell of a, it was a hell of an experience to just, you know, get on the, on the Tom Gross Express and yeah. <laughs> hang on for dear life. And it used to be even, even crazier again, uh, when you had both Tom and Barry, because say someone would request a song cause like the Wednesday nights is what you have to do because that's really whenever they'll play anything, right. even if it completely crashes and burns. <laughs> You know, and and on that gig, it also would go in kind of a stream of consciousness way where maybe something would get requested that would make Barry or Tom or Mike think about other tunes. And, and then all of a sudden, two hours would go by and you've played nothing but Beatles songs <laughs> that, that you never heard. Like, I never, or, or we'll play Abbey Road in order or, oh, you know, man. that kind of thing. Jesus. But we st- yeah, we still... We still do that sort of thing um, on Wednesdays, uh, but not in the same way that we did it before. Right. Um, it, it was a crazy. Uh, it's a crazy band, those guys. Yeah, it's it's definitely the only band that I've gone from the Beach Boys to Sly and the Family Stone to Sticks in three moves. That's that's right. <laughs> that's right. Amazing. And then all the. Uh, and they and you can jam in that band too. They get into the Allman Brothers thing, or mm-hmm. or and and uh, or we play Birdland, or we play. Yeah, we totally fusioned out in that band many times. Oh, with you know, Tom Gross we'll, on we'll, keys, I, how could you not? Yeah, we'll totally go there on those nights whenever it's appropriate. You know, uh, Wednesdays generally is is the the place for that to happen, and and people not hate us. You know, where right. we can play you know kind of jam for i played you know sometimes play drum solos in that band when do you ever play a drum solo so yeah hardly hardly in a cover band hardly like, never in a cover band yeah. yeah so as far as that kind of gig goes it's uh it's a good one to good one to have yeah yeah they're good guys mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. what so is it are those wednesdays starting to come back are you well, not not right now. They're they're doing a duo there on Wednesdays right now, and and Mike and Tom's duo I think are working a lot right now. Mm. That's kind of what's happening. I have been playing with Mike's band though. We played a gig last night and two the week before. Random things, mostly up north, where they seem less concerned. Yeah, with they're a little less concerned up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out there. But out there uh, apparently, apparently, yeah, apparently we're less concerned as well. So because we're up there playing, and uh, uh, so it, it's coming. It seems to be coming back a little bit, but I don't know about the Wednesdays. We're all missing that for sure because that's for that band the the big outlet where we can kind of do anything and kind of stretch out some what is your outlook uh, as far as you know, the 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 future of live music, be it the the near future or the far future, 
Um, and and what are your thoughts about sort of your own uh, safety <laughs> and well-being? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, to be perfectly honest, whenever I reflect on that, it's mostly negative mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as how it feels, how things are. Like even with regard to live music, uh, you know, as the baby boomer generation kind of goes into retirement age or whatever it's really like still to this day those are the people that love live music yeah it seems you know that generation and it seems less important culturally as far as how i can perceive um hopefully that's not true yeah Uh, hopefully that's only my own cynicism so um but as far as and I say that just because I'm trying to envision the future and what's going to happen and how it can be positive. And I really don't know. It's basically going to have to be some sort of uh, hopefully a new age is is upon us. You know, what I watched a Colonel Bruce interview where he was talking about, you know, a renaissance yeah. has to be on the way because it couldn't possibly get any worse, you know. <laughs> And he was talking about, like, what was happening before the Beatles, you know? It was, like, the worst crap ever, you know? Right, right. And then it became a renaissance, you know? So it would only make sense that if we don't blow ourselves up as a species that something (laughs) has to happen positive to counteract the sterile creative culture we've been in on so many levels yeah. is depressing to even mention. Yeah. And I mean, there's always positive things you can go towards and I try to, but, um, definitely that's, that's such an interesting yeah. point. Cause like, as I'm thinking about, um, you know, music as a whole over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, um, very little of it is good. You know, like you, you have the people, you know, the people you're a fan of, some of them reach, uh, you know, the pinnacle of, of notoriety and, and fame and fortune and all that. Like Jason Isbell, I think is a great example of just someone who is talented and substantive and conscientious and also famous, (laughs) you know? Right, right, Um, right. Uh, but yeah, just thinking about like, there's just been a lot of bad music, lately um and if if we can maybe enter a renaissance (laughs) like colonel bruce said maybe covid will bring on the the musical creative renaissance that we seem to need yeah and you know and and you have to be careful obviously defining things as good and bad or it's obviously so subjective i mean maybe to i don't i don't know what 20 year olds listen to and and maybe in other you know in other realms of music that I'm not a part of. There's a lot happening. You know, I'm not a big hip hop, you know, I, I appreciate a lot of that music, but I've never really dug into it. Is mm-hmm. that a, a place in which things are happening? I, I have no idea, but I'm talking about in what I dig, there's nothing Yeah. <laughs> or that that's, that's, uh, there's nothing on the radio that I think, sounds like the Beatles or that has that inherent timeless quality uh, that's conveying what, and I I was not alive even close to when the Beatles were out. Right. But I can hear something there or even older music uh, that, that I don't get when I sift through the radio. So I, I don't know. I think, and and definitely, you know, uh, uh, calling a bunch of music bad was was too uh, broad a term for me to use. No, I know what you're saying. Though, I mean, I agree with you, but I I just (laughs) for the record, it's probably good enough. (laughs) And I should I should put a finer point on it, and maybe you'll agree. Like so much music that I've heard, you know, so much new music over the last ten years doesn't sound like it's made by people. Yeah. Right. And, and when I say that, I'm not talking about the use of, of electronics or loops or, you know, samples or any of that, because in any genre that I can think of, um, like even an EDM, I've heard EDM where I can hear a person at work, right? Right. I can hear choices being made. I can hear decisions being acted like 
And I, I think it's, you know, it's like any other genre. There's good and bad versions of it. And, right. and I feel like the, the human element of, of music is uh, disappearing. Um, and and I, hope, I hope we can get back to it. I can, I can get into almost anything if I hear a human at work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, live, live music, you know, raw sound, human time, time feel. Yeah, you know, uh, the beat detective stuff, the or auto tune or any of that. I, I just don't understand on what level anyone hears that and thinks that it sounds good. I just, yeah. I don't even understand. I can't relate to where that's coming from at all. Yeah. So, so like, and even if, a, you know, even if a song is full of beat detective and auto tune, like if, if I hear, if, if the song is like cleverly arranged, if it's, you know, if it's well-crafted, if it's well put together, then I can get over yeah. that other shit. But if it's just yeah. like set it and forget it, um, you know, I, I just, there, yeah. I, I hear a lot of laziness. I hear of a lot of what I perceive as laziness in music production lately. And I'm about to turn, I'm turning 40 in four days and it's so showing oh, right now. I'm congratulations. just like, get off my lawn. Um, yeah. It's easy to go, go down there. <laughs> hey, for the record, like I, I don't really even listen to pop music at all. So, uh, you know, I can't speak too much to what's happening there but uh just the things that i listen to but, but there's some songs that yeah i can totally appreciate from the production value like there there's some taylor swift songs you know that that i can appreciate objectively like that's it's good right or some of these wedding songs we have to learn or whatever i'll listen to it and i'll think this is not something i'm going to listen to but i understand that this is good mm-hmm. <laughs> or I, you know yeah. or uh you know uh and and i can definitely get hung up on the things that i don't like about it but uh you know namely things like i don't there are no acoustic instruments or yeah where where are the drums at you <laughs> right. know i can't hear any i can't hear any drums in right. the <laughs> but uh but i do understand that that there is definitely some production value um so I guess I'm speaking uh, more narrowly to to the things that I personally, as a musician, appreciate music. And, and a lot of these things seem to be better represented in the past than they are now. Yes. Like, uh, and the human element being chief among them, right. you know, like you're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going back to Colonel Bruce, like, I think he, he just he just wanted things to be real. You know, he didn't, yeah. he didn't mm-hmm. want things to, to try to be more than they were. Like he, you know, he bagged on subwoofers all the time. He's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> he's like, nobody needs to hear anything below, you know, the Beatles didn't need subwoofers. Um, I loved that about, you know, I played several shows with him filling in for Darren mm-hmm. and, uh, I loved how we would get onto a big stage and he would tell people just to turn all their crap off. Like the, <laughs> the sound guy, like all this, you know, there'd be this huge sound system and he would just have them turn, turn it all off, you know, one <laughs> microphone, you know, or yeah. there'd be bass, you know, a lot of kick drum through the microphone and stuff like that. And he was just like, you don't need all that. You know, you don't need to hear that. And, and I so, uh, loved that, uh, you know, the, yeah. because I, I totally agree. I'm like cut from the same cloth on that. So, um, totally. And I think maybe that's, yeah. that's part of my beef with a lot of modern music is just, it's, it's full of a bunch of shit that it does not need. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, we have everything at our disposal now with, um, just the, the digitization of music production, um, there's, there's, there's nothing our heart desires that we can't make happen pretty easily. Um, so I think musicians and producers are just, you know, making it happen without thinking too hard about whether or not it's really needed. Um, yeah, I envision that I envision that, you know, we're in the era of technology and all of these tools. And at some point you would think that once the novelty wears off, however long that will be, there will be you know, a pushback in the other direction mm-hmm. where we want to make it as, uh, as human as possible. Yeah. You know, I can just imagine that where, where we're losing that sense within technology at some point it will be very, um, people will want that feeling again and yeah. it will be of, uh, you know, of their own free will. It will be more, desirable to have the lowest production crap you can make <laughs> right. because people feel like 
it's real somehow, but I'm just uh, babbling. No, no, it's, <laughs> so. it's, I think it, it comes down to honesty. It's like, this yeah. is, you know, it, there, there's an honesty that's, that's missing in, in some music. Um, and, and I mean, above all, like that's what Colonel Bruce wanted. He wanted honesty. He wanted authenticity, um, Absolutely, out of, yeah. out of the music he made and the musicians he played with and, um, et cetera. But anyway, yeah. yeah get off our lawn. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Uh well hey man, thanks for uh thanks for talking. I uh I, I had a great time reconnecting Likewise. with you. It had been I mean, we haven't seen each other since the beginning of all this shit and, and I miss That's right. I miss seeing you out and about. I miss hearing you. Yeah. Um, yeah, likewise. And uh hope hope you'll be uh back out there with Mike in a in a in a safe fashion soon. Oh we will, man. It's gonna happen. Good. Gotta gotta keep the faith. <laughs> <laughs> good right on make yeah. real music that's right cool man yeah thank you for having me on absolutely thanks for talking jack okay dude take care there you go jack jones great drummer no drama solid dude thanks for that talk follow us on instagram and facebook to stay up on what we're doing every week you can keep in touch with us there too don't hesitate to drop us a line subscribe on itunes stitcher youtube and spotify and check us out at patreon.com slash working drummer Next week, Matt Kraus will be talking with Danny Gottlieb, who over his long career has played with many jazz giants, including Pat Metheny, John McLaughlin, and Chick Corea, and has a new project coming out with bassist Mark Egan. Hope you check that out, and until then, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.